You're listening to episode 233 of the Comics Files. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Here's the thing that over the past five years, we've had to sit here and learn as a group of uh, sometimes five friends who, um, you know, have been doing this together for so long. Sometimes, you know, we learned this with Pete, with Invincible. You just have to let one of us have a thing. Mm-hmm. And today, it got to be Marcos. Oh, what? Why? Is Rumpy. it? Rombi is, is here. Nuh-uh. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we are lucky enough, and Marco may not even survive this experience. Hopefully he can, uh, because we are joined today by one of the biggest, brightest rising stars in all of comics, uh, an absolute breath of fresh air in the industry we're talking about the writer of these savage shores we're talking about the writer of catwoman we're talking about the writer of a little small book called the swamp thing we're talking about rom v thank you so much for joining us hey thanks for having me it's a pleasure to be here um it's a pleasure to to surprise marco apparently (laughs) (laughs) and, and let me tell you i'm shocked uh outside of setting up everything else I'm shocked. I'm going to play it up for the camera. <laughs> there we go. The, There's my thumbnail. There it is. The fact that he's wearing a Swamp Thing hoodie is just, that's his regular everyday apparel. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's, it's not prepped at all. Mm-mm. No, no, we don't do that. We don't do that. Yeah, little, little peek behind the curtain. That is true, though. That's, that's, Marco. that's not, we aren't joking about that part. That's not for the bit. Well, always on brand, right? So. Exactly. There you go. There you go. So uh, a few weeks ago, maybe maybe a month ago now, we were actually lucky enough to interview Mike Perkins, and yeah. we had a great conversation with him. And it feels like we are completing the puzzle in a lot of ways because we got the other, you know, one of the other major pieces of the Swamp Thing book. But there's so much to talk about with Ram, and we're going to get into all of that here in just a moment. But before we do, I do want to let you guys that are listening know where you can find us all over the Internet. Of course, we are the Comics Pals. If you've never heard of us before, our show drops every single Monday where we talk about the comic book characters you love, wherever you can find them. We're covering the news of the industry, and we're interviewing fabulous creators just like Ram today. So if you want us, you can follow us on all social media platforms. You can follow us wherever it is that you get your podcast. While you're doing that, make sure that you guys are leaving us a rating or a review wherever it is you're listening. If you're on YouTube, thank you very much. Like the video, share it with your friends, subscribe to our channel, and hit the notification bell to be made aware of more content like this. Last but not least, if you want to chat with us directly, join our Discord server. Come hang out with us. We're always having fun conversations. If you want to talk about Falcon Winter Soldier, listen to We Watched. Listen to We Watched Falcon Winter Soldier and then come to the TV Party Discord server where there are only black boxes because it's spoilers everywhere. (laughs) We're having a great time with that and our sister show, We Watched Invincible. Great content for you guys. Enough shilling, enough plugging. Put the spotlight spotlight on Rom. Let's dive into it. We're going to start... 
because I know we can't do it any other way. Marco won't allow it. <laughs> we're going to start with the Swamp Thing. On this podcast, we're fans of Swamp Thing, Marco more than the rest of us, but we've all expressed a love and an interest of the character. Now, you're taking this character, this sort of moniker, and you're doing something a little different than what's come before. And we're only two issues deep into the run so far. We did have the future state issues that came yeah. before. Uh, what can you tell us about how, what inspired you to want to tackle Swamp Thing? Because Swamp Thing is a character that has been blessed to have so many great creators work on him. So what brings you to the table for Swamp Thing? Well, um, it... It started for me when DC got in touch and they said, hey, you know, we're going to, we're kind of putting this 5G thing uh, into motion and we'd like for you to be a part of it. So here's a list of characters that are up for discussion. Um, what would you like to do? And so it was a pretty open ended question. Uh, and I went back with a couple of pitches, one of which was Swamp Thing. Um, and I kind of went back and I said, look, if I'm going to do a Swamp Thing book, I have to, I have to make it new somehow. Um, and part of, the, part of the way Swamp Thing works for me is that the mechanism of the hero, the, the creature from the swamp, remains fresh and new. Like you can tell endless number of stories with it. So, so then I kind of asked my question that, okay, well, well, then why has this character kind of gotten to a point where it feels like we've seen a lot of stories and we've seen a lot of them being told over and over again? And I realized that, well, it's because on, on, a, on a human level, on the human drama level, that, that it's Alec Holland. And, you know, there's only so many times you can keep telling the story of how Alec Holland and Abby Arcane fell in love. Uh, and really that is at the center of that character. And I felt like, Okay, well, it's kind of time to, to to move on to another character with a different set of dramas, different set of concerns. Um, the the other concern I had was also Alec Holland was, was certainly a character of of his time, uh, and and so reflected concerns of his time. Um, and you can still read that now, and 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 the stories that you know Alan Moore did, or or, or Scott Snyder after him, or. Uh, Len Wayne and writes before him. All of those stories still work today, but you look at them and you realize they're at differing levels of of datedness. In that, you're reading it, but you're also aware that this is a product of its time. Uh, and so, I wanted to tell a story, Swamp Thing story, that felt like it was a part of, of this time. Uh, and and the way to do that was to tether Swamp Thing to a new character, a new um, human host, if you will. Um, and one of the things I told DC when I, when I first started working with them was that my aim was to make superheroes feel like they belong to the world. Uh, and it wasn't the rest of the world kind of looking into this American window. Um, and, and I always hear this argument and I always scoff at it. And I always hear it from people who are, who are mostly either in America or in Europe and they say, uh, there are only six original stories or all the original stories have been told and we're just mm. telling, we're just retelling narratives over and over again. And my response to that is that's because 
stories are, are cultural artifacts and you've never bothered to look outside of your culture for another story. Um, the moment you start getting stories from other cultures, you start getting stories from Africa, you start getting stories from India, China, all of a sudden, all of the stuff that you, stop, you thought was structured one way, all of that falls apart. And you realize that, oh, in India, gods are not good or bad. They're massive screw-ups and they, they create and cause a lot of drama. And there's a, there's a value judgment in that. There's a way you tell stories from that. Um, and so that's why I went back and I said, look, I want to tether him to an Indian character. And I want to, I want to bring India, its mythology, its politics, its current day uh, ramifications into the story as well. And so we ended up with this, with this thing. So how did you get paired up with, or did you choose to work with Mike Perkins on this project? There's actually a very interesting story there. Mike was supposed to be working on uh, a Swamp Thing project with another writer um, as, a, as a completely different group. Um, and by the time this whole kind of 5G turned into Future State, this whole shuffle happened, um, Mike had an option. And they were like, look, we're still going to do this Swamp Thing book. Um, the one that you were going to do, and then we're going to do another Swamp Thing series with Ram. I know you said you wanted to do Swamp Thing. Which one do you want to do? So Mike had a choice of picking someone who is a very well-known and well-recognized creator. Um, and off of the strength of the pitch he read, he went, I, uh, I want to work with Ram. Wow. Uh, which, which to me was like massive pressure going like, oh, crap. Here's this guy who's, <laughs> here's this guy who's read probably every Swamp Thing issue that came out has like an encyclopedic knowledge of DCU history. Uh, and he's going to be working with me. I better not screw this up. Um, <laughs> which I'm glad to say, you know, I, I think I think Mike's pretty happy with how things have turned out so far. And he certainly expressed that when we spoke to him. So he didn't talk bad about you behind your back. <laughs> um, I, I never watch podcast from creators who I know because I'm like okay I can't take it if you say something bad about me so I'm not gonna watch it so I got this impression from the interview but the interview was before the swamp thing had actually released and was available for us to sure. read uh he spoke about how you know you really seem to have a grasp on what works about Swamp Thing. And right. he seemed to be very jazzed about the creative process. And it's apparent to me from, and, and I think the rest of us is fair to say, um, that you guys both really have a deep understanding and respect for the character and it's coming across in the work. So you talked about what you wanted to bring to the table uh, from your worldview and what you wanted to inject. Yeah. What was important to you tonally and narratively to bring to the table for this new series in introducing this new character i mean part of part of the challenge of coming to comics uh, as a writer who is not particularly steeped in comic book history like i didn't grow up reading marvel dc didn't have access to uh, these books as a kid uh, and so my real kind of introduction to the dcu came through vertigo um, when I was in my early 20s uh, and, and 
someone I was dating at the time gave me the first volume of Sandman as a birthday gift. And really that was kind of the thing that brought me into comics. So I don't have the kind of um, deep seated, like I've read all of Swamp Thing. No, I've only read the highlights because all of my reading is from going into Google and typing the best Swamp Thing stories ever told, <laughs> you know? Uh, and so my analysis was generally, um, and so I, I sort of pay more attention to things that I'm taking on because I know I don't have that sort of inherent knowledge, if you will. Um, and so my endeavor is always in trying to figure out like, okay, why does Swamp Thing work? Forget, forget the specifics of it, forget the character, forget the specifics of the story. What is it about this icon that works? Uh, and, and this is an easier thing to explain when you look at it in terms of Catwoman. Like, why does Catwoman work? Hmm. Cat burglar, like an, an iconic image. Nobody has to explain anything beyond she's a cat burglar, you know? Um, and so I'm always trying to sort of, if you, if you look at it in terms of theme or if you look at it in terms of philosophy, I'm trying to find that what is the thing that makes this character iconic? Um, and... I realize the reason Swamp Thing stories work is because is the is the idea of something that is bigger than us looking at us. Um, Swamp Thing is great because it's the world looking at us. It's the natural world looking at us and passing judgment upon us, passing judgment upon itself because he's also human, because he's also a vessel for this thing. Um, and like once you really figure that out, it's possible for you to tell any number of stories with Swamp Thing and they will all work because you you have a lens, you have the lens that makes these stories work. So uh, you said something there that um, tied to something that, you know, we kind of clocked um, during our, our readings of the first two issues and, and I wanted to, and I'm sure you might not be able to tell us all of the specifics, but something that I thought was interesting about your Swamp Thing, right, is that generally when... Um, you know, whoever the host has been in the past becomes a Swamp Thing, they kind of lose that tether to their humanity. And then right. that kind of, you know, frames them as this, like, tragic hero, right? right. And right. seemingly, right, like, your Swamp Thing is, you know, kind of going back and forth, and there is kind of, like, I guess this push and pull between the humanity and, and the Swamp Thing. So I, could you talk a little bit about that as a theme, like, and what was kind of the the thought process behind, beyond, behind wanting to add that to you know, your take on the mythos. Yeah. I mean, I felt like our idea of what humanity is, is probably being questioned now more than it was back when the, the, the original Swamp Thing stories kind of were coming out. Um, I think maybe mistakenly so, but we had a firmer sense of who we were as humanity back then than we do now. Now we're questioning everything. Now we're going like, okay, are we actually beneficial to the planet or are we ruining this place that we are we are in? Have we contributed greatly to the betterment of humanity as a whole or have we just learned how to exploit each other better? Um, and so because humanity in itself is also a fluid, fluid aspect, I felt like it would be interesting for someone who is who maintains his humanity, but is now learning to look at himself from the perspective of something that has watched him over 
eons since since there was no humanity this thing green has watched him uh, and watched us develop to where we are now and so it has certain perceptions of us and we have certain perceptions of it and i think in that conversation there is something of value which i don't think other stories other swamping stories have been able to tap into because their structure has always been that you lose your humanity and so you aren't human anymore um and i think i think i wanted to sort of tap into that sort of what, what how does it feel to be in possession of such a great power and a responsibility but also guilty for just the way you've you've treated this planet uh over all of these years so i wanted to preserve that humanity and and say instead of wipe the slate clean no you know own your crap and 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 go forward from there i love that i yeah i i also love that it's really cool the idea that you know while we're looking at swamp thing and saying oh that's a disgusting creature or whatever swamp thing's looking back at humanity and saying uh excuse me <laughs> you guys have done some things <laughs> yeah yeah Who's and i think monster i mean i think uh, i've just finished writing issue five and i think by the time we've finished this conversation and, and hopefully you guys are all getting on to issue five you'll start seeing these themes kind of come to the front from from behind the veil of subtlety that we've we've placed so far. So I think I think pushing into that area of discussion is going to be very interesting for the stories. I very much look forward to that. Um, I do want to jump into a listener question. We actually had a few listeners who were excited uh, that we were going to be speaking to you. So we, we have a few of those. Uh, so the first one is coming from Tyler over on the, over on the Discord, and he says, I have a question for Ram. Uh, titling the book The Swamp Thing is a specific choice since I can't think of any other time it's been titled that outside of Saga of the Swamp Thing. What's the thinking there? Well, because we were... So when we proposed this, I said... I'm actually the one who went in and said, hey, we should do this as seasons. We should do this as 10-issue okay. ins installments. Um, and a lot of people tend to think that, oh, it's a 10-issue mini. Why did DC do this? No, it wasn't DC. I proposed this, and Mike and I proposed this um, when, we, when we went into it because we said, look, I'm not, I'm not, trying, to, I'm not trying to ask for anything you know, that we're not going to earn. We're going to earn that second season over the over the you know run of these first ten issues, and if you think we've done well enough, if you think the story is doing well enough, then we'll we'll look at another season. It also kind of becomes this way for us to take stock of where we are and like, okay, what's the theme for the next season? I feel it's a lot nicer to do it that way because I think the the era of the 150 issue run on something is just gone. I don't think that exists anymore, not in the same way anyway. And so because we were doing this, we knew we were running the risk of making it look like this was a kind of side project swamp thing and not really. Uh, and so when it came to the title book, Mike and I were like, no, 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 we got to tell people that this is the only swamp thing. So this is the swamp thing. Um, it's not, it's not non-Alec Holland swamp thing, uh, as you would have noticed at the end of the second issue. Alec Holland is very much part of the history of this swamp thing and, and will be will be kind of pivotal 
to to where the story goes. Um, so yeah, so we wanted wanted to sort of reflect that with the title. So um, you you just called out the the bit with Alec, right? And and I did want to ask about that. Given you know the comment you made about um, not necessarily being like as steeped in comics history as some some yeah. other writers that work with the big two, um, how did you like? What was your goal for balancing that? Like you obviously wanted to create a new character and like put a new stamp on the Swamp Thing, um, yeah. but there are these nods to kind of the history and the legacy there as well. And right. I guess like what where did you find that line, or has that been a line that's been hard to find? Um, I mean, I don't think, I don't think it's been particularly hard. Um, for me, I think part of the joy of working in comics is that there is so much history to it all. Um, I, I mean, if I was just coming in and I wanted to wipe the slate clean and write another story, I mean, I could just tell the creator own story. Why am I writing as part of this kind of giant tapestry of, other writers, other ideas, uh, and, and these characters with these huge long histories. Um, I think part of the joy is to work with that history. And so I never, I never, I would be, it would be very rare for me to go in and go like, Hey, I just want to wipe the slate clean and then start fresh with this character. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but totally, totally. That part of the joy of t- storytelling for me is to go like, how can I make this all connect with 1981 Swamp Thing? Um, <laughs> you know, um, and so this has been this has been part of part of my theme for things I've pitched. Like I, I won't mention the character, but I pitched a character that uh, a story for a character that hasn't been seen in like 40 years, um, and Ooh. and and the editor who was who I was talking about this with. They said, you know, why are we trying to, why are we trying to make everything connect back to something that no one's read? I'm like, look, it doesn't matter that no one's read it because the people who haven't read it are going to read it and they're going to go, wow, this is a cool story. But the people who have read it are going to read it and go, wow, this is a cool story, but it also connects to the thing that I remember. <laughs> and there's joy in that. And I, and I appreciate that joy. And as a creator, there's a flex in going like, look, this is a totally new story, but I made it work with something that happened 40 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, sure. so I enjoy doing that. So I, I read Catwoman uh, coming into this, and I really, really, really enjoyed what you've been doing with Catwoman so far. Now, Personally, and I'm only speaking for me, I've not been a big fan of the character by herself. I think um, a lot of times there's a a treading of ground that happens. Um, And so you found her in a very interesting place when you sort of jumped on the book. um, That was smack dab in the middle of the... um, the event, uh, what was it? The Joker, Joker War, yeah. The Joker War. Thank you. It was right uh, at you, the end of Joker War, actually. Right, yeah. exactly. You found you found her right at the end of the Joker War, and there was kind of this explosion in the Bat continuity er- area of DC. Mm-hmm. Um, and here you come. So, what was important to you to accomplish with the character coming into it from that perspective? I mean, I knew we were going to be in a position where 
where um, because of Joker War and because of the events that that went through that Selena and Bruce were going to be a bit strained, if you will. Um, and so, you know, I looked at it as an opportunity to to do the thing you talked about, where you said, you know, the character on on her own um, seemed to seem to be lacking a kind of basis as to okay, well, why does this character exist, and why is it why is she important? Why do her story why are her stories important outside of their relationship with Batman? You know, mm-hmm. um, and so when I came in, that was that was my first instinct is to go like, okay, well, we're gonna tell a story where her actions become important, just as just as Batman's actions impinge on her life in Gotham, like her actions are gonna feed back into whatever Batman and Bat event and and, and things things around him, uh, and so that's kind of what I wanted to do. Um, and I also wanted to build a mythology of her own, you know, give her her own villains, give her her own, you know, supporting cast and, and her own motivations. Um, and, and so I don't know if you remember the early issues, but when, when she came in, she kind of makes this mission statement where she says, people don't remember who the Catwoman was and it's time to remind people who the Catwoman <laughs> is. Um, and so I feel like she set about doing that. Uh, and now the story is kind of leaning into the direction where she's worked so hard to to sort of set her own boundaries and her own world up in this corner of Gotham. But now she's annoyed that stuff from the bat side of Gotham keeps leaking into her into her vicinity, uh, and she's going to have to deal with it. Um, and I think there's going to be a need to deal with it on her own. Uh, and so that is going to lead to, to, you know, ramifications, tensions. So I'm quite enjoying that side of it. Um, and then I knew when I came in that this was going to scratch a street level crime itch for me. Um, as my, there's a cat. I was going to say, look, um, we're talking about Catwoman and the cats are coming. <laughs> as my recent collaborator now, Evan Cagle, who's going to draw issue 32 of Catwoman, says... Everything you pitch eventually refers to the wire, Rob. Do you like the wire or something? <laughs> Wait, Sean's like wire? face. Sean just blew up. <laughs> yeah, I love the wire. I'm obsessed uh, with the wire. I'm currently rewatching it. I'm on season three. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of lot of Catwoman plot is structured off the wire. I mean, it's not quite paced like the wire, because if I pace it like the wire, I don't think I'll last very long on the book. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of lot of the sort of plot tensions the plot lines are based off of things like the wire partly things like the sh- like shield mm-hmm. which is the yeah the michael Chiklis show uh yeah yeah so so this is definitely scratching my 90s crime tv show itch yeah. <laughs> uh, so i'm sure this will be news to everyone but i'm actually going to be launching a podcast about the wire uh, I I just thought of it right now, and it'd be great if you were the first guest, so we can just sit for an hour and talk about it. Well, you know, I I'm also the kind of guy who likes to let the work speak for itself, so I don't want to go too much into like what parts of the wire am I leading? <laughs> yeah. Sure, yeah, of course. But but I mean, anyone who's watched at least the first three season, uh, first three seasons can see 
where where the where the commonalities lie. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's just always nice to meet a fellow wild a wire fan in the wild. <laughs> so we we got another question. Uh, speaking of Catwoman from uh, Matt over on the Discord, he says. I'd love to hear you guys ask him about Catwoman and how he finds writing titles affected by events and a core book like Batman versus Swamp Thing or creator owned books. So, you know, what's it like kind of coming into a title, knowing that you have to tie it into this event? And so you're I don't want to say, um, you know, shackled because you took it as an opportunity, at least the way that I read it. Yeah. Um but it does play a factor versus something like Swamp Thing where you get to kind of come in and, you know, do your own thing unfettered by anything else. I mean, to be honest, again, that's part of the joy of working in comics. Like, why are you in comics if you don't like writing things that tie into events? <laughs> like, especially, especially, especially big two comics, like, come on, you know, every few months there's going to be some kind of thing where someone's going to come up and say, we want these things to cross over. Um, and if you, if you particularly find that part of the part of the job to be intrusive or something, then you should really be questioning what part of the industry that you're working in. Mm. Um, because I could totally see the need to have a singular voice and, and the need to be able to do your own thing. But it's like, it's like being part of a band and you can't, you can't be part of a band and go like, I want to play a 30 minute solo in the middle of this song. <laughs> Not going to happen. You're going to have to, you're going to have to work with someone else's rhythm, work with someone else's riff. And part of the joy of it is to go like, okay, I can place this thing on top of what you're doing and it'll sound cool. Um, and I think you have to look at stories that way. Uh, I certainly do with Catwoman. Like, there are definitely events that are happening on the bad side that are going to influence what's happening with Selena. Um, and it, the part of the joy for me is in recognizing what I've been doing and then what someone else has been doing and then going like, Oh wait, these two things can kind of play into each other. And that makes it really cool. Um, so I quite enjoy that. I look that, I look at that as a, as part of the, part of the challenge, part of the joy of working in um, superhero comics, to be honest. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, sort of working within that band. Um, when it comes to working with other creators, uh, Mike recently shared an, a splash page of the, of the title uh, yeah. for this most recent issue where he sort of mentioned that, you know, you had this idea and he kind of was the, the one who brought it to life. How do you typically work what is the capacity to which you work with your artists or um, I'm thinking of people like Anand RK as well. Like what, how do you typically work with your artists and form that cohesion with that band per se? Yeah. I mean, I've always been the kind of guy who doesn't mind being a little bit pushy when it comes to, to, to collaborations. Um, you know, I know, I know there are creators who will look at work that comes in from artists and say that, okay, whatever you do is fine. And that's what I'll work with. Or equally, I know there are, there are writers who will send out a script and go, well, that's me done. Um, I have no, I have no further say in how this book turns out. 
uh, I am 100% not one of those guys. Um, <laughs> I will, I will send a script. It will have sketches linked in it. It will have a billion references. Uh, it will have things that go, I'll give you a call on Tuesday morning and we'll discuss this because if I write this down <laughs> on page, it will be a three page essay. Um, and, and, you know, I don't want to be blamed for writing whole books as scripts like a certain <laughs> Mr. Moore did. So uh, I don't, I don't mind doing that over the phone. Um, so yeah, Mike and I have, you know, zoom calls all the time. Um, Anand and I pretty much have a call every time he does a few thumbnails and then we'll sit for a couple of hours and go like, why did you make this choice? Mm, this is what I was intending. This is how I think it works in my head. So it is very much like a band. Uh, and, and I think, um, a lot of times when people review the work, um, that I'm a part of, they'll come in and say, oh, this doesn't feel like three different people made this book. It feels like a singular vision. And that's the ultimate compliment, right? Like if you, if you went on stage as a band and played a song, you want people to talk about the song. You don't want people to talk about the vocalist or the guitarist or the drummer. You want people to talk about the song. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's kind of my, my take on the whole thing. Um, I know there are a lot of artists that I've spoken to when I say that they're like, I would be so pissed off if someone told me what to do <laughs> with the art. Uh, and I appreciate that, but I'm still going to do it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, you gotta, you know what you want and like, yeah. there's no, there's no doc in that. I respect that. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, the greatest thing in, with working with someone like Mike is I've genuinely like, there's a mess email from me going like, Mike, I know I can be annoying and pushy and I can send sketches and a million suggestions. So if I'm going overboard, 100% let me know. And it is not personal. Like I won't take it uh, poorly. And, and Mike wrote back and said, I know when to ignore your suggestions and also thankfully most of the times they, they are at least intended to make the work feel better. Um, and so as long as that's true, like I'm totally cool with people totally ignoring my suggestions. Don't like, nah, that doesn't work. I, mean, I feel like that's like, that sounds like an ideal, it's been considered. Yeah. That sounds like an ideal creative partnership, right? Like yeah. open to your feedback, but if he thinks it's a bad idea, he'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. And, and as, as it should be, you know, <laughs> Uh, I, I think I definitely felt that in Graffiti's Wall. So I got a chance to read that one through. And, uh, I, I loved it. You guys were definitely, I think, that cohesive unit that you mentioned. And, and I'm glad that you guys said that you were working so closely, that, that collaboratively, because yeah. um, I had a question on specifically the silences that you guys use in a few of the pages and a few of the panels or a number of them. There, there are moments where you would sort of expect like the honking of horns because of you're in the busy streets of Mumbai, um, right. the chanting of protesters, the, uh, when I think one of the, the moments that stood out to me was when Graffiti's father, like took a drag of his cigarette and it's just, it's there, but it's all quiet. Right. right. What was the, the decision there to be able to balance that out, um, with the, the interpersonal sound talkative moments versus right. like, the contrasted against those silences? I mean, a lot of it is, is nebulous and intangible and it's it's a matter of feel um so so i don't know that i can like put my finger on like this is the mechanism of how silences work in comic but i look at all art 
have this is a weird take, but all art to me is intended to be uh, a, a vehicle for some form of synesthesia, right? So, so you look at a painting and it makes you feel something. It reminds you of a texture or a sound. Or you listen to a song and it generates images in your head. Um, so I imagine a comic kind of works the same way. And sometimes like a picture is enough to generate the sound or at least the feeling of the sound in your head. Maybe you don't mm. hear it, but it has the same effect. So I feel like if there's, if there's that panel where there are protesters in the street, like you can see the rage and the anger and, and the, and the sort of disobedience in their, in their body language, in their, in the way their hands are drawn in the way the fist is made. You don't need the sound there equally. That makes whenever I do decide to use a sound that makes that panel feel like, Oh, I really should be paying attention to this. So like I've got a new book coming out uh, called the many deaths of Layla star um, issue one page, one of which, which is already out. So I can talk about it. Uh, It's in the preview, but it's basically talking about this guy driving through a traffic jam uh, in Mumbai. uh, And that conversation gets randomly interrupted for no reason, no narrative purpose by a traffic police cop blowing his whistle. There's just a whole panel of him blowing the whistle. And at least for me, when you're reading it, it's almost like you're reading it and someone stopped you. You got distracted because someone blew a whistle really loudly in the back of your whatever room. Um, And that's the kind of stuff that you can do with comics. That's really exciting to me. Does that Uh, that answer your question? It does. No, totally satisfies that question. Um, I appreciate that. And um, it's, it's also interesting because blue and green was one where it's specifically another one of your image um, creator owned titles was another one where specifically focused around music around the sound. Um, We got a question, another question from discord around it. Um, Sultan of Swing says uh, that he's very interested to know if there was any historical inspiration for Blue and Green, as well as any musical inspiration, uh, and that he loved the book. Yeah, I mean, the well, thank you. And, and the musical inspiration, I mean, is pretty much on every page. Blue and Green, the name itself is a, is a Miles Davis song. Um, part of the reason I used that title was I'd have, I'd have discussions with people who, who weren't particularly jazz listeners. Um, and when you started talking about jazz, they'd always go like, oh yeah, it's that kind of show tuny happy stuff. Um, and I'd play, I'd play Blue and Green, and i go like, this is haunting. Like it's beautiful in places, it's sad in places, it's playful in places, but it haunts you in some way. Like there is an undercurrent there that you can't quite put your finger on. Um, and, and people agree. And so I wanted to do a jazz story that was haunting uh, in some way. And so Blue and Green, the title kind of played into that. Um, there's title references throughout the story, like make references to Charles Mingus songs. There's, mm-hmm. there's references to um, other tracks from, from Coltrane. Um, yeah, so I mean, there's there's also like a whole playlist that I made from all the songs that were mentioned in the book. So there's certainly historic inspirations that way. Um, it's also born off my time in Philly, which is really 
um, the first time that I could experience all the stuff that I had looked at from afar as a kid growing up in India. Like my dad had a huge music collection. And so we'd listen to blues and jazz. And so I'd heard the music and I knew that it was supposed to be connected to all of this imagery of smoky bar rooms and, you know, whiskey stains on top of pianos. Um, but I'd never been to anything, any place like that. And then when I moved to Philly, there was a place in Philly, which is now closed, sadly, called uh, Ortlieb's Jazz House. And it was it was the kind of place, I think it was inside, the entrance was inside a shipping container. Oh, that's That's awesome. And and yeah, and the, the, there were no signs outside that said, you know, Ortlieb's is here or anything. You had to kind of know how to get there to get there. And then once you went in, it was brilliant. It was like all dimmed down and burgundy and red everywhere and um they did two sets and the second set started at 10 30 at night uh and the second set was always great because all the people who would be regulars would start coming in so you realize like the guy playing the music already knows half the crowd that's there to listen to him um and so there was that that sense that i wanted to like i want to set a story in this atmosphere if you will um so yeah, so I used that. And then there was all the late 60s, New York, the city crumbling and uh, the race riots of that time uh, and the, the implications of um, race and being a, a black entertainer, um, a popular black entertainer in New York at the time. All of that also filters into the story and the idea of like, what are you sacrificing to be successful? You know, uh, that was another book that you worked with, Anand. And um, I was curious. A lot of writers write books for certain artists, and I'm curious how you, if you did adapt your writing, because the styles are so different between blue and green and uh, graffiti's wall. Like, was there something that you had to do differently to be able to communicate those things for him? Yeah. I had to ask Anand to adapt to the book, oh, okay. <laughs> which, is, which is, which is why I laughed. Um, it's funny, the story of this, like I went to Anand and I said, I've seen you do your sort of sketchbook things. I've seen you use watercolors in painting. And I feel like you can do this style that hasn't been seen since McKean and Sienkiewicz were, were yep. kind of probably properly working in comics. Um, and he was like, I don't know that I can pull it off. Um, and I said, look, it doesn't have to be the way they did it. Um, just do pencils and go over them with digital colors and you'll be able to achieve a similar look. And he was like, nah, it's impossible, not going to work. So he tried, I think it's, we spent like two months of on and just trying different styles like working with markers, ink, traditional media. And then we eventually settled on a style where he was like, yes, this works. And then after he had done that, I went back to him and said, look, I don't want to be the guy who does this, but that's basically pencils and digital colors on top. <laughs> and he went, oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, I so I, do, I basically I've never let him live that down. <laughs> I bring it up at every opportunity. Yeah. I love the idea that he's like, that's impossible. And then spent two months figuring it out. It's like, nah, nah, all right, I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> so you were, 
you are one of several creators who are coming at comics from a different point of view than particularly American comics um, are approached typically. Uh, you talked about wanting to bring, you know, something different to the table. And it's been great to watch over the last mm, 10, 15 years as comics have gotten more diverse, more women, mm -hmm. uh, more people of color have been coming into the industry with mm -hmm. different things to say. Is that something that is important to you as a creator to say something different, to bring a different sort of beat to the things that we have seen? Because so far, you know, we talked about Catwoman and that feels to me very different than Catwoman that I've read. Uh, we talked about the Swamp Thing and that's obviously very different. And is, confirm. <laughs> well, yeah. Sorry, I forgot to consult. Yeah, the, the expert. <laughs> yep. right. I'm a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> is that something that you think is important? Is it incumbent upon creators who have the diverse experience, who have a different perspective, to bring that to the books and show people, show fans, show executives, frankly, show editors that there's more? Is that something that's important to you? Yeah, I'm reminded of a of a of a Raymond Chandler, um, Raymond Chandler, no, Raymond Carver, um, quote, where where he talks about how he is uh, tired of seeing cleverness from writers. Like he has no time for for people who are trying to be clever or people who are trying to use tricks. And then he says something that's always stuck with me. He says. Sometimes a writer should just be able to look at something like a like an old shoe or or a sunrise and still be able to look at it with awe and and curiosity and and wonder. Um, and I think that's very true. Um, but I I'll take that and translate that to the question you just asked, which is the writer's job is to take things that are familiar to everyone and yet find a way to present them in a, in a very unfamiliar way where it becomes new again. Um, you know, like, sure, in comics, you're always doing crazy stuff, you know, sentient black holes and dragons and whatnot. But the, the, a good writer can just write the story of a man whose relationship is falling apart and still engage you in the same way that you were engaged, you know, if you've read that story 10 times before from 10 other writers. And so you realize it's not the story, it's not the idea, it's what the writer brings or the artist brings, the creator brings to that idea. And so I feel like regardless of whether you are that same old American writer or you are coming from a completely different demographic, completely different country, whatever it is. If you call yourself a writer and you take your job seriously, then it is your job to bring something unique to whatever you do. Um, and so I think part of, part of that sort of diversity discussion is exactly that, that you know, a lot of, lot of large corporation things 
think they think that they can get away with 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 enacting diversity by by paying it lip service. Like, look, here's a character who is not the same as all the other characters before. Like, okay, that's step one. That's important. Don't get me wrong. That's important. Representation is important. Diversity is important. But that's step one. I want to start seeing diversity of storytelling. I want to start seeing diversity of ideas. And those things are necessarily part and parcel of what it means to be a writer who takes their work seriously. And how important is it in your mind that the big two prioritize those voices? I think it's very important, um, but I'll go one step further. I think it's important that the big two prioritize those voices, not only in, in their involvement uh, as creators, but prioritize those voices in encouraging their stories to become part of the stories that are being told. You know, um, it's cool to hire people but it's even more important to go like, okay, I've hired you and I want you to tell your story. I don't want you to tell the same story that's been told 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a, there's a distinct difference between those two things because um, like your tendency is to do the things that have safely worked for you from an editorial perspective. For instance, if I want to write a page that's in a different language to English. Like I've tried to do that. And a number of times I'll get editorial pushback. I'm like, people are not going to understand this. I'm like people don't like vast majority of the world is multilingual right now. Most people know at least two languages, even, even in the States, uh, certainly in Europe, certainly in other parts of the world, like English is not my first language. Um, and so why, why this reticence then to, to, it's okay for people to read words that they don't understand and have to look them up. It's fine. You don't have to spoon feed everyone. Uh, and, and I think that kind of understanding, that kind of approach to diversity in their stories, um, it's okay to present a different view of history than, than what is the you know, accepted norm. Uh, and and I think that kind of stuff will take will take time certainly, um, but but hopefully there there is thoughtful and willful pushing into that direction uh, because it's only at that point that we're going to start getting um, we're going to start getting stories that truly feel like I am picking up something new about humanity each time I read one of these things, and I think. That was part of the joy of reading comics, really, wasn't it? Like even even the old classic stuff was showing you things that you had never considered before, uh, and I'm not sure I'm not sure we're still doing that. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I That's think I, uh, yeah, I, it's something that we talk about on the show a lot. I think it's it's definitely fair to say, um, which is why it is why I think it's so exciting when there is a, a writer like you who comes in like gives you something different because there's hunger for it. You know, like I know as a reader, like you said, like I've read the same story, watched the same story so many times that yeah. you get numb to it. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, 
I think that's a great answer. I really appreciate that perspective. Um, Ram, I did want to ask you um, one fun question because we've been doing a lot of really heady stuff, which is like our bread and butter. But I do want to ask you just like one fun thing because you mentioned before how when you pitched on the Swamp Thing that there was like a number of pitches that you had yeah. submitted as a part of that process. And I'm yeah. I'm sure you can't tell us what the specifics of those are because Lord knows maybe they'll get picked up some other day. Um, right. But something I love to ask creators is like, are there any kind of like characters or or like any of those kinds of legacy pieces of history things that you would love to get your hands on? Like if it was just, you've got, you know, full reign, do whatever the hell you want. What would that be? So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a tangential answer. I'm not going to give you a non-answer, but I'm going to give you a tangential okay. answer. <laughs> I, like I don't that. have, I don't have those kind of dream characters again, because I didn't grow up with that kind of history, but I have, and part of this is like some kind of weird literary obsessive behavior where I look at something and I go, there's a story idea here that no one has done. And it's bothering me that no one has done it because it's so obvious. Um, I'll give you an example. Vampires as colonialism. Surely someone would have done that. And mm. And I thought that with these savage chores, when I was pitching the idea that, of course, someone must have done it. And then I looked it up and I said, well, no one's done this. And now it's bothering me because it's right there. Um, and so when I pitched these savage chores, that was, that was the idea behind it. So on big two stuff, it's, it's things like that, um, where I look at a character and I go like, how has no one done this with this character? Uh, and so there are there are definitely concepts like that uh, that I would like to explore, but not with not with particular characters. So um, that with that caveat placed, I have certainly have ideas for Batman. I certainly have ideas for Green Lantern. Um, certainly have ideas on the on the Marvel side of things for for Strange and Moon Knight. Uh, so. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Well, and I I love that answer because I think that's so much more exciting than like, oh yeah, I'd really love to write Moon Knight. Like I love that you're coming at it from this place of like what is the freshest idea I can come at yeah. or inject or whatever. And and I think like I think that's why um I I can at least speak for myself. I think that's why I respond to your work. Um is that like I, you can I get that. Like, I get that feeling from you that, like, you're trying to do something fresh and new, and like that is yeah, just it's so. The, I mean, it's the, um, to 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 put it in a different way. It's the take that excites me more than the character. So totally. So I mean, partly sometimes to to much to the disappointment of my editors, because I'll go like this character from this old DC guidebook. That no one's <laughs> read or touched in three decades. I have a fresh take on it. And so the editor's just like, but no one's going to read this, Rob, because there is no readership. I'm like, I don't care. I have a take. <laughs> of, course it's a, of course it's a fresh take. Nobody's touched it since 1945. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm hearing is we're getting an ambush bug series from Rom. That's too recent. <laughs> no? Too recent. Okay. No, yeah, no. Um, there are some there are some characters that I brought up that editors were like who, 
(laughs) That's a flex. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) You need to name them and shame them. (laughs) Yeah, you'd be be surprised because, I mean, I guess from a from a purely writing perspective, right? You either want to do like, oh my god, he did not take this most popular character and just do a completely weird take on them. Or you want to do, no one cares who this character is. Do whatever the hell you want. And then all of a sudden it's like, that's amazing. Yeah. What you don't want to do is take a middle of the road character and do a middle of the road take. Because that's like, to me, that's the most boring thing you could do. So, so yeah, bring it on. I will, I will either totally mess up your greatest characters or totally... Are totally revitalized. Them. <laughs> and that's the Rom V guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Like if you're gonna f- if you're gonna fail, at least do it flamboyantly. Yeah. <laughs> what a quote! That's brilliant. <laughs> it's it's unforgettable, at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you. But you look at all the greats. I mean, I certainly don't think all of Morrison's work is successful, but all of it is at least weird as hell. <laughs> Like, yes, exactly. I, I certainly don't think all of Alan Moore or Warren Ellis or any of the any of the sort of big writers that that you look up to now and go like, okay, you hold their work up um, as great. They've all had, in my opinion, failures. But that's part and parcel. If you can't risk a failure, then you're never going to do anything interesting. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Um, speaking of interesting, we we can't let you go without talking about the many deaths of Lila Starr. Um, so we were lucky enough to read this book um, a little bit in advance. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, were, we, we got to read the first issue. Uh, this is from Boom. And I really, really enjoyed it. I love books that confuse me. And that I have to really, it's kind of like the wire, pay attention. You know, that's like the quote. Um, I love books that force me to pay attention to everything that's going on. Uh, One of the things that I noticed, and this is just how it made me feel, was claustrophobic. Um, A lot of the pages have, you know, quite a few panels on them. A lot of times they're very small. You see only a portion of a character's face. It really makes you feel this this claustrophobic feeling, um, yeah. and in addition to that, so I like that the stage is set in that way. But then, in addition to that, you did something that I'm also a big fan of. You have this character who, uh, you know, I, I, well, I don't want to I don't want to spoil anything, but it's certainly you know it's 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 in the title, the many deaths, right? Um, <laughs> sure. I, I I love that. I love that. And right. so I would love for you to just talk about why this book exists for you, why this was a story that you had to tell. And if you can tease us a little with anything that is to come. Yeah. I mean, actually there's a very long history and tradition of Indian stories that are obsessed with the idea of death coming to the mortal plane. Hmm. Um, so, so the Indian God of death is, is a God called, Yama or Kali, depending on who you attribute certain qualities of death to. Um, but this but this story of like Yama coming to earth has been done so many times. 
Um, and so I wanted to do a story about death coming to, to Earth. Uh, and my obvious references were for it. The moment I thought of that idea, I was like, yeah, but already, you know, Gavin's already done it. So what am I going to do? Um, and the thing that struck me was like, death is a cultural concept. Mm. The way, you know, the way, the way Christianity thinks about death is not the same way Hinduism thinks about death. The way Americans think about death is not the same as the way Indians think about death. Uh, and so I thought that was, there was a lot of interesting counterpoints there. Um, and so it, it kind of fell into that thing that I do where I take something that is familiar to you and then I go like, but no, you have not read this, this version of it, um, which I've been doing with a lot of my creator work. If you think about it, like Black Mumba, which is my self-published book was Crime Noir. And so people are like, of course I've read Crime Noir. Yeah, except there's no crime in the book. Um, and then, you know, these aventures, oh, it's vampires. No, it's really about colonialism. Um, and so so with Layla Star, it's this kind of, oh yeah, it's about death. And, and, you know, she's come down to the mortal plane. Of course I've read this before. No, you've not. Because the way the Hindu religion in, in India and Indians treat death is very different considering, especially considering, you know, it's a claustrophobic country of 1.2 billion people. Uh, <laughs> many of, many of whom I'm, I'm, I'm sure they, they die pretty regularly. And so death is a much more integral and closer part of daily life mm. than, than you would imagine in, in other places. Um, also, it has so many religions that, that live right next to each other. Like when I was growing up, I grew, grew up next to a Parsi Tower of Silence, um, which is uh, this place where they do open air burials for their dead. So it's just this massive tower with vultures flying in circles above it. And you, and you can see it from your, from your house every day. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so it's, it's amazing. Uh, and so I felt like, yeah, there's certainly room for me to talk about all of that in a comic. Um, so I did that. The other thing I wanted to do was play around with the idea of the many deaths of Lila Star, if you will. I just like the idea of a god who, who's immortal and obsessed with death having to die over and over again. So, um, so I think we'll see that play out. Um, and then that lends itself to a kind of formalism that I like playing with. So like there are issues that are narrated by burning cigarettes and whatnot. So we'll see. Oh, <laughs> wait a second. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love it. I love that we got that little tease, so I won't even press it. That's, that's awesome and very, very cool. Make sure that you guys are picking up the many deaths of Lila Star. Um, it's out this April 21st, April 21st right? So, um, definitely check that out. Uh, if if you'll permit, I have one last question for you. Sure. Uh, so you you mentioned how you want, or it would be ideal if editors pushed creators to bring their lived experience, bring something different to the table, and that's that's something that uh, I think we can all agree to. But given your outsiders quote-unquote perspective on American comics is there one thing outside of what we talked about 
that you think needs to change mm. in order for this industry to thrive? The, the fetishization of war and policing needs to change. Um, I think, I think the, the fundamental difference between cultures from where hopeful stories start coming out versus stories that seem to, to focus on, on the, the inevitability of it all is, is that, that I think far too many countries and cultures are defined by their wars and by their losses and by how many people died and what event on what day and what we had to give up to earn these free. No, man, like people were born free. Nobody had to earn their freedom. You know, people were born free and people continue to be born free. We fight wars for a lot of reasons, but it's not fair to saddle entire generations with the debt of that, the emotional debt of it, the debt of it, the, um, the, the national debt of it really. Uh, and so I feel like the more we can move away with, with fetishizing violence and, and war as a way of demonstrating bravery or, or um, demonstrating strength, um, the more we'll start getting interesting stories. And it is, a, it is a thing that is culturally certainly much more prevalent in American comics uh, and European comics to an extent. Um, and it's not certainly not so much so uh, in, in other countries. Um, and and the, the, I mean, look at, look at Japanese manga. I mean, their, their subjects of choice are just like, okay, this is a house husband and he has developed a way of like, why, why can't we see more stories like that coming out of, coming out of Europe and, and America or, or, you know, Indians obsessed with the idea of reincarnation and just constantly being born into the same life to do the same thing. No one cares about war. If you're going to be born into the same shit over and over again, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah. So totally. I feel like there needs to be room, more room for those narratives also to come to the fore. Um, and I think we'll start seeing more interesting stories um, the, the more we push towards that. And this is, not, this is not a criticism of American comics per se. It's just a criticism of the kind of storytelling we're, we're seeing um, kind of dominating our cultural spaces, if you will. Yeah, no, I, and I, and that's a conversation that's that's ongoing, right? We talk about defunding the police and all these different things, and I feel like those are all kind of interconnected in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I feel like I feel like we need to stop attaching value judgments to really what are functions within society. Yeah, you know, protecting people mm -hmm. is a function, um, but it doesn't automatically make it great or brave or wonderful. Uh, it's not it's not better to to protect someone than to be a guy who created paintings like an artist is no less valuable than a soldier is no less valuable than a teacher, you know. Um, so I think we need to look at all of those things with that kind of a balanced context. Uh, and I think we'll be better for it. Well, Ram, thank you for bringing balance to this podcast. We really dun, dun, appreciate dun. <laughs> <laughs> we really appreciate you you coming on um th this has been an incredible conversation man thank you so much yeah oh, thank you pleasure. so much for your time i'm, I'm glad so again the many deaths of lila star you said april 26th uh april 21st april 21st thank you very much 
uh, doing my job for me. Appreciate you. Uh, <laughs> April 21st. Make sure you guys hey, check man, it out. I have to know when my books are coming out. So. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone's going to know, right? Uh, <laughs> and of course, make sure you guys are reading the new, the new Swamp Thing or The Swamp Thing. The it is Swamp. The Swamp Thing. Can't forget the Swamp Thing. Uh, it is it is awesome, and you guys will not regret picking it up. Season one. If you support the book, then we can get a season two. So let's let's do it. Let's go. And we have some really really weird ideas for season two. So oh, do it. Yes. I want to get to the really weird shit after this conversation. Like, let me get to the cigarette narrated issue of Swamp Thing. <laughs> I explained the idea to Mike last week and he immediately went onto Facebook and said, okay, I really need for everyone to support this book just so I can draw what I discussed last night. Everybody go buy a second copy. (laughs) Why not? Uh, Buy one for a friend, right? Where can the listeners keep up with you on social? Where can they find out more about you? Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm the right Rom on Twitter as opposed to the wrong one. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I'm I'm Ramwe writes on Instagram. Uh, these are the two places where I'm most active. Um, I've also got a website ram-v.com, which I promise I will update next week. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, those those are the places you can find me. I'm generally the kind of person who broadcasts about his books, and I don't really do much more than that on social media. Um, so yeah. The best place to talk to me about anything else is you'll have to come over to London and buy me a drink. So, <laughs> Challenge accepted. I'm in. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. So that was, that was obviously an incredible conversation with Ram. Definitely do uh, check out his work if you haven't done that yet. Um, Many Deaths of Lila Star is a perfect place to start alongside the Swamp Thing. Again, that book by the star drops on april 21st uh so and by the way thank you to those of you who who had questions we really appreciate it when you guys hit us with those questions for creators um i know that it it probably makes them feel good to know that people are anticipating them coming on the show that we had questions ready from you all so um it means a lot and keep it up you know we've got more creators coming for sure so whenever you guys if it's someone that you're into you know, feel free because we are able to ask. So if you want your questions a- answered, ask them in the Discord or write in at the comicspals at gmail.com. And uh, if you haven't checked out the Swamp Thing yet, don't forget our review of Swamp Thing number two. It's up right now. Check it out. We've got a lot more show to do here. Uh, we've got we've got quite a few more things to talk about. Uh, we've got a, a few trailers that dropped this week that we gotta we gotta take a look at, including Jupiter's Legacy. Uh, Marvel gave us a double dose this week with Black Widow and Loki, uh, and uh, some big news about what's going on in the X Men neck of the woods. But before we get into all of those things, we do have to talk about our polls this week, of course. What would it what would a comics pals episode be without pals pulls? Uh so I have uh from Marco, we've got lock and key. Oof, yes, Sandman, Hell and Gone number one. Marco, that is a mouthful. What did I just say? So this is a crossover between lock and key, IDW and DC, lock and key, Sandman universe, where uh as people might know, 
lock and key is all about keys specifically that have certain powers, magical powers ascribed to them. And someone thought someone had the really good idea to be like, Hey, the key to hell in Sandman. What if that was a key within the lock and key universe? What would that do? And so this is going to be that. That's cool. Yeah. So somehow some way somebody within the lock family is going to find the key to hell and presumably either lucifer and or morpheus is going to have to deal with something and that shit's right up my alley i and i'm super excited for this i've been waiting for this for like i want to say like six months when they first had the preview out the zero issue for anybody who's interested um is out so you can get kind of like context as to Hell, you can also get context into um, where Lock and Key sort of stands. It combines two big stories. And one of those is a story that um, uh, always manages to make me tear up. Um, I'm forgetting the name. I'm, I'm going to look it up really quick. But the the writing there, Joe Hill, excellent. And uh, I'm, I'm wondering if Neil Gaiman's going to come back to do some stuff. Man, um, the way you laid that down, I've never even read Lock and Key. Oof. And that... That what you just said sounds so cool. Yeah, dude. Uh, there's there's a few where it's, he's just a strong writer, strong horror writer, but he really gets um, he he really gets like the emotional human parts of people, and it's perfect yep. in Lock and Key. I think you would really like Lock and Key, Sean. Yeah, I might have to give it a whirl. I tried the Netflix series, and I didn't really like the first episode. It's nothing so. like it. Yeah, nothing like it's it. Very different. Yeah, it's it, that that is a like watered uh, watered down like you know uh easy mode on fucking Halo or some shit. Yeah, it's it's family friendly basically is. Yeah. I see. Okay. Uh you also chose Phantom on the Scan number 1. Oh, this is a Cullen Bunn book. Anything that he puts out, I'm there. Like you're gonna get me with something, and it's definitely gonna be Cullen Bun, his horror stuff. This is another one of those books, and so I'm I'm there to pick it up. Beautiful. Uh, Pete chose Proctor Valley Road number two. Yeah, so we reviewed uh, Proctor Valley one. Um, this is of course uh, the new creator owned series from uh, one Grant Morrison. Um, forgive me, I don't remember the rest of the creative team. Um, but uh, I I enjoyed the the first issue, and I thought I thought that it um, it set up a cast of characters and kind of like a good mystery that that you know it struck a chord with me right away. So I'm I'm interested to see where it goes. Um, Grant stuff definitely isn't always for me. Um, and it's interesting because this like weirdly feels a little more grounded, even though it is dealing with the supernatural. Um, and, and that, that worked for me too. So yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes. Awesome. Uh, same here. So I chose this, this first one that I'm going to mention might surprise people. Rorschach number seven. I'm going to tell you this right now. Not only am I still reading it, it's genuinely in my top three favorite pulls week in or month in month out come on i love it really that's wild love it that's bold Mm. i think it is so so good uh i think it was issue it was either issue five or six it features a conversation between um 
two of the characters via mail. Like they're writing oh. each other letters. You read that one? Yeah, that was good. We had a, and, I think we had a discussion with somebody in the Discord about it. Okay. That shit hit me hard. Okay. That for me, that was very powerful. Um, I love what Tom King is doing. It feels so good to be excited and enjoying genuinely a Tom King book. I mean, I enjoy Strange Adventures as well, but like this is this this there was a lot of like concern about how uh, this book would go, and for me, it's going really well. I love it. Uh, Jorge Fornes is doing a tremendous job. This is awesome. I implore you to pick it up uh, if you can get past the fact that it's called what it is, even though the book has nothing to do with Rorschach. Um, Rorschach number seven, loving it. Is it working on the month to month format? In the way that, like, uh, a lot of our critique for Strange Adventure seems to be, it would work really well in one sitting versus the month to month format. Man, uh, you know those like those those uh, those images on social media where where it's like a dude in the middle of like all these swords. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what's your What's your hot take that's gonna like cause this to happen to you? Um, mine is that. If your book does not work month to month, your book does not work. And that's just how I feel. Uh, That's the way that unless unless it specifically comes out as a graphic novel trade, um, that's just not it's meant to be read the way it's released. And so, uh, yeah, for me, it does work that way. For me, the book is working month to month. I am in suspense as I await the next issue. That's where I like to praise. Yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah. I mm, I think it depends on the issue that it's been working, but uh, I I think I I mostly agree with that, Sean. I'm glad to hear that we haven't spoken about the book uh in a, in a while, so I'm glad that you're you know we're not reviewing it for the show, but I'm glad to know that you uh, you're actually getting something out of it, even if yeah. it's not to the degree that I am. Maybe we do a book club. Yo, hop on the Discord, bro. We can talk about it. <laughs> Word, and we'll see depending on where the interest is when it wraps up because we wanted to do Mr. Miracle, but then that kind of ended weird. Yeah. So, you know, (laughs) sure. We'll we'll see. We'll, we'll see how things feel once we get to the end of that story. But uh, the other book that I chose for this week that I'm really excited about is actually Spider-Man spider shadow. Number one. So this is from one chip Zdarsky, uh, who is firing on all cylinders from the writer end. Uh, with uh, the assist from Pasquale Ferry. So the, the the premise here is pretty cool. So this is like a return to what if. They're just not calling it what if. And the idea is uh, essentially what if Spider-Man was Venom? Ooh. Oh, yeah. I do remember. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember the pitch for that. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of like, you know, what if he was Venom? What if he's keeping that on the low? Almost like, I don't know if this is Chip's intent, but what if, like, almost like he was a drug addict, almost like he was addicted to the symbiote Mm. and keeping it from his friends and family and his life kind of spiraling out of control. That's the pitch. That's interesting because, like, he kind of touched on that in Life Story Mm. um, a little bit. Oh, yeah. You remember that? Yeah. 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 It's kind of like as Peter was getting older or whatever. Mm. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. We gonna review that one next week? Uh yeah. Let's do it. I think we should. Cool. If you want us to, you should, should let us know. <laughs> uh so 
let's jump into the news. We've got we've got a Jupiter's Legacy trailer. Uh, and we're actually going to pull it up here for you guys. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll be able to watch along with us as we 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 break down what we got out of this trailer. All right, here we are. So this is, of course, coming from Netflix, Jupiter's Legacy. This is the comic. This is the show based on Mark Millar's um, based on Mark Millar's story. I got to say, I read the original story. I read the first one. Mm-hmm. It kind of came and went for me. Yeah. Yeah. I had a similar experience with it. I read it in college um, and like it was fine enough, but it, it didn't leave a super big impression on me. Yeah, yeah, I felt the same. Um, this trailer, though, um, I really enjoy it. I really like it. Um, I think it's got a solid cast. Like the, the those those that I'm aware of, the character, the, the actors I'm aware of, it has a solid cast. I yeah. feel like it's staying true to what that story was, um, but it's presenting it in a way that's actually visually arresting. The visuals cool. are crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Like even even the colors on the costume look yes. just otherworldly. Yeah, totally. That was the thing that kind of struck a, a chord with me, I think, um, with the trailer was just that, like, I don't know, not to say that, like, the Netflix shows um, look bad, but I think some of the more high concept Netflix shows, it's like you kind of have that question of, like, well, which one am I getting? You know, like what, like what degree of budget are we putting behind this? Mm, yeah. Sure. Um, and this seems like the right level. You know, like it so, seems uh, like it seems like it's got that, you know, um, network drama, like higher kind of production value to it. So it's important to to mention that this is a product of the relationship between Malar World and Netflix, right? Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, Malar World was folded into Netflix pretty much, um, and you know, I I think this is the first project we got out of that relationship. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did they not um, do that magic one? Hasn't come out no. yet. No, yeah, they talked about that. I feel like there was maybe like a movie or something small, but I think this is the first like big, you know, Netflix series like event kind of title thing. Yeah, and so I, I say that to say also that maybe the the reason it has a higher production value is because they have greater skin in the game. Yeah, right. Well, and I you have to imagine they're hoping to cash in on their their own superhero thing as yeah, well totally oh yeah this is this is super cool uh you pointed out the visuals i gotta say that th- these costumes these are some of the best looking costumes i've ever seen in a superhero yep. property they look really uh, good especially ones that aren't like like they look real but they don't look overly real like some of like the the mcu stuff you know. They also don't look goofy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Or, or like, um, I feel like some of the MCU stuff sometimes goes the opposite direction, where it's like it's so, or, or like, um, Shazam was kind of like that, where like it looks good, but it very much looks fake. Like it looks like CGI, yeah. not something yeah. a person would actually wear. Um, and I, I do, I do like that about this as well. Yeah. Um, 
I, I'm, I'm really excited for this. I, I would love for this to be a success because getting more would be really cool. There was an awesome conversation that took place in the Discord actually about um, Millar's intent and Viltrum Warrior uh, was very good at breaking down like what he was going for throughout this series. And mm -hmm. so I would love to see this play out. I would love to see them really get the time to tell their story. Mm -hmm. This gives me like a very much like a watchman type of feel to it yeah where it has the legacy aspect but then also the new characters in it as well um so i i i just i say that and flashing on this no is the phrase no legacy so there you go lives forever no legacy lives forever yeah. i love this i think this is going to be really cool um and and i'm here for it i think it's something that like you gotta imagine um what kale laid out to like the whole superhero thing like netflix has got to be sweating right now like, yeah. obviously, since the Marvel deal kind of ended, like, they haven't really had, you know, they've done a couple comic book adaptations, but they haven't really had, like, their big superhero show. And, like, every big network has their big superhero show right now. Um, so you got to imagine they're looking across the fence like, oh, yeah, us too, us too. Yeah. Yep. Um, and they did, like, they did the old guard which yeah. was, a, I believe it was a success. And then they did the Rick Remender one, which didn't, didn't get over. But um, they need an overwhelming success. Yeah, because like Umbrella Academy was like pretty popular. Yes, but it wasn't like, it wasn't, it didn't fucking explode. Um, but wait, the Rick Remender, you mean Deadly Class? No, no. Oh, I was um, going to say, because wasn't that like, that was like Showtime or something. That got, no, that was sci-fi. That, that was oh, sci-fi. Yeah, um, but that. I think the, the Remender was the last days of the American crime something like oh, that oh yeah that's right okay yep um but yeah i think this is a great opportunity for netflix i think it's cool for 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 mark to get his work on a on a grander scale i mean he's had the movies and stuff mm -hmm. but like you know to be recognized for this as his baby his thing with netflix i think it's a great opportunity um yeah may 7th yeah, we'll see how it is. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, we will most likely be reviewing it. So um, <laughs> stay tuned. I'm we'll be watching it. Exactly. So I want to follow up on the March Madness tournament that DC put together, the round robin mm -hmm. uh, situation from last week. Last week, we spoke about it. We talked that we broke down the brackets and we talked about what we thought would win each one. And, um, you know, kind of why we didn't think this was the best idea for for DC to be doing, to be putting some of these concepts uh, against each other that people would really enjoy and would be upset if they didn't get over. Um, so that's actually exactly what happened. Um, <laughs> you mean we predicted the future? <laughs> yeah. You know, every now and then, every now and then we were able to successfully predict what is to come so let's let's actually go over the the results uh from round one first so um green lanterns underworld on fire beat out at a candy holiday hero inc to the surprise of no one what yeah uh that feels like a gimme <laughs> zatanna and the king of nightmares beat out the brave and the bug crisis on infinite ambush Bummer. no that's a shame rest in peace ambush bug Similarly, feels like a gimme. Yeah. Uh, Zatanna is pretty big. Ambush Bug is not. 
Not it's yet. Bu- wait till wait till Rom gets a hand on him. <laughs> uh, the son of the creeper was taken down by Lobo and Animal Man scorched earth. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yes. The creeper, who is that? Um <laughs> It's not even him, it's his one. fucking yeah. son. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't even know who the creeper is. Right, that's a good point. <laughs> you read this all, book. You're all but, a bunch of rookies. Ron V knows who the creeper is. <laughs> yeah, well when Ron V's writing the creeper, then I'll check it out. Until then I don't give a shit. <laughs> Wouldn't it be really funny if that was actually his pitch and we'll never know because they didn't release the creative team? <sighs> Damn, you're right. You'll never know. I'm gonna go have a pint with him on Monday. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> you let us know. Uh, no. You didn't vote for it. You don't get it. The the so that's so that's that uh the real story of course is that uh Robbins beat out Justice League queer. Yeah, I mean Robbins is chill. Is that the story? You don't think it is? We knew that was gonna happen. I mean I think we knew it was gonna happen, but I still think it's the story. Yeah, I, I, I think it I, I think it speaks to what we outlined about it last time, right? Like it, it you you um had had cited a bunch of tweets that you had read, you know, from um queer comics fans that were out tweeting about it and kind of like, you know, and that's obviously right, like you'd imagine that's the tar- target demographic they want to hit with that book. And there was a mixed reaction to mm-hmm. the announcement and kind of how it was handled and the name and all these things, you know, that like if if you're not speaking to the the audience that you're you know seemingly trying to uh, to court with that book, like it's not a huge surprise that it didn't it didn't move on. You know that's probably for the best. Hopefully they take that feedback and you know um, drive that desire for a book that's fronted by you know a queer person or queer people um, into something that feels a little bit you know less. Um, I don't know. Uh, tokeny, I guess. Mm. It, it it's what what kind of like Rom laid out where, you know, that's like the first step. DC needed to start with the second and third of how you know having them creators tell the stories that they need to, not just be like, "Hey, cool, this is the name." Like, yeah. Let's get excited for that, whereas it should be getting excited for the the different idea, the different concept, the then what is new and what is unique about this perspective that makes it interesting. And there, there are stories there, but when it's not positioned that way, it makes it hard to get on board. Well, that speaks to the fundamental flaw of this entire thing, right? Um, the whole premise of the first round was that you only knew the pitch. Judge right? a like, book literally without its cover. <laughs> Yeah you, yeah, you only knew the pitch. And so there's that leaves too much room for those kinds of questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to read a little of what the editors had to say about how this all went down. So Andrew, uh, Andrew Marino. Wait, was Andrew Marino one of the ones on? Um, yeah, he was. He's, well, he spoke to it in any event. Andrew Marino spoke to this issue and so did um michael McAllister. so they had this to say about justice league queer 
We're thrilled with the fan response, and thanks for voicing these important questions. We didn't anticipate that some fans would see JLQ's inclusion in DC Round Robin as controversial, nor was, our, nor was it our intention to ask fans to rally votes for queer representation in comics. DC currently publishes LGBTQIA plus characters and storylines in comics like Batman, Harley Quinn, Suicide Squad, Far Sector, Wonder Woman, Action Comics, and more. For JLQ specifically, the volume of votes and the personal notes that have been shared online all send a great message that fans want to see a pitch like JLQ succeed. So stay tuned for news about where you might see JLQ appear in the future. We're listening. We'll continue to put, keep pushing for positive representation across all our projects. Okay. So I do not want to put out there that they intended the what ended up happening. I don't feel that way. And, you know, I think that you can make a mistake and it not be what you wanted. That said, I'm a little confused as to how they didn't think that they were asking fans to rally votes for queer representation in comics. Yeah, and, and I, I and I kind of... I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe like you said, right? Genuine mistake, and you didn't expect it to be controversial. But I feel like you should have, because, mm. right? Because then that is what you're doing. You know, you're basically being like, "Oh, do you want a book about like a, a Justice League team that is made up of queer people?" Yes, great. Then come participate in our our Twitter vote. And rally people behind the book that you want, rather than saying we believe in this as an idea. So here's the team, and we're gonna make this book. You know, um, that is what you're doing. You're being like, oh well, if you wanted it, should have stumped for it. That's shitty. I I don't know because I think we made the we made the comment that this was around engagement, and one of the things that we saw was this this bracket in particular had like three X the number of votes as all the other ones. Right. So mm. that notwithstanding, if the expectation wasn't that around these other books that they weren't going to enable people to rally behind it. I don't know that it's necessarily because this one was JOQ was going to have that same effect. I think it, it was like a question to engage this community and, uh, had like had it been a matter of seeing similar numbers of votes compared to the Zatanna book or the Swampton book or et cetera, I don't think that that would have this. I don't think we'd make the same argument, but I, and I think that that was the expectation on the editor end. Cause I feel like that's how from a marketing perspective, that's how I would think about it is, well, we're just trying to get people to engage we're not looking necessarily for like if they retweet and they ask people to fine, but we're not asking for more, more beyond that. So that's where there's a problem with the cross section between big business and social interests. Mm -hmm. So you just perfectly outlined almost assuredly exactly what they were thinking, but that's the problem. You can right. do that with a book called, Oh, I don't know pause off because no one gives a shit about that right like if pause off doesn't get over then it doesn't hurt anyone but when you have an industry where representation's a problem just leaving it up to a vote 
where you where where you can reasonably surmise that people will not only vote because they need that representation and it's painful for them that it does isn't present, but that they'll also vote because they don't want that representation and they're douchebags on the other end. Yeah, that's the scenario that was created by that marketing idea you just outlined. That's why you can't do things like this. That's exactly why. And I don't think it's I. I agree with Sean where like, I'm not going to put that on anybody, but that's also a tactic, right? Like outrage marketing is a thing. People know about that. You should have known that this was a possibility at least, you know? And so I, I'm not necessarily like trying to ascribe malicious intent, but I do feel like somebody at this level of, of marketing at a, a company with the status and resources of DC, like there should have been someone in the room who was like, maybe that's not the idea. You know, like maybe that won't go over the way we think. Um, yeah. And I think that that speaks to a broader conversation about representation um, behind the scenes that we don't always talk about. Right. Where it's like there probably wasn't a queer person in that decision making room. So you make you step on this rake. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Yeah, um, I, I really wish they hadn't done this. I've looked at twitter since the results came out and it's predictable people were very upset mm. um and there's a certain group that's taking it as a win it seems like we'll probably ultimately get the book anyways because they recognize that they stepped in something bad yeah. um and that's cool i guess but the road to get to the book itself should never have been this arduous for the people who need this book i personally don't even think the book should exist the way that it's being outlined but that's fine because it's not for me um if you need this book and you're willing to accept it warts and all right uh this hurts so i'm hopeful that the end result is better than what i think it is and that it's better than the name because the name's bad too i really really hope for comics that this works out yeah. Because now DC has a gun to their head. They have to publish this book. There's no way. There's no other way. Yeah, I mean, hopefully to your point, like the fact that this happened the way that it did, we'll get a better end product than we would have gotten that would have felt like... See, I don't know. I, I think they'll fart something out just to, you know, make... Just to say they did it and nobody bought it. So why would they do it again? I don't know. I don't think so because I don't, I don't, I think that that projects a malicious intent that I don't know is there because I think even like when you're talking about uh, you know, DC's a business, right? Like this is a capitalistic society. They're trying to make money. Um, you don't want to put out a book that sucks and makes no money. You want to put out a book that, oh yeah, great. Like we can sell this and make a ton of money and get social clout because we did this and it's good, you know? I don't know. It's 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 hard to say. Um, it'll be interesting to see how DC handles this going forward. But even in the uh, so I, I've got a bleeding cool article in front of me, which is just it's just the editors answering questions about this process. And there are more questions about this issue than anything. And it's pretty clear that there's some hurt feelings and that sucks. And the editors were forced to confront that. Um, by answering to this. So, you know, um, again, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. 
But uh, I think DC stepped in it this time. I do want to quickly go through the rest of the results because we do care about the the, the totality of this deal. Uh, so Jesse Quick control was too quick for pause off the Justice League. Um, <laughs> what? Yes, oh, wait. indeed. Jesse Quick made it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. Good. She was too quick. <laughs> she ran right past those pets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> indeed. Uh Blue Beetle graduated to the next round uh, with Blue go. Beetle graduation day, beating out Night Runner, Love in Paris. That's uh, sorry to, shame. yeah, yeah, literally only me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you sold me. <laughs> yeah, I'm literally the only person that wanted that book. <laughs> I think Brian Edward Hill probably voted for that. Uh, All right. Yeah, he good loves, company at least. There you go. He loves that. <laughs> Marco was devastated because Swamp Thing, A House of Secrets, uh, got beat out by Suicide Squad 7. Here's the thing, right? So I don't know if you guys have heard, but we're actually starting a petition for a recount because somebody on the DCN fucked up again. Hanging um, chads. Hanging chads. Leave it to DC. Uh, And then last but not least, Superman and Lois Ignition defeated the last Amazon Asteria in the final slot to move forward. Um, so now because of that, we actually do know a bit more about all of these uh, different projects. We know the creative teams now. Um, do you guys care? Are you into it? Yeah. 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 All there's right. a few. So Green Lantern's Underworld on Fire is going to be written by Sina Grace with art by V. Ken Marion. Wow, I haven't seen that I name know, in a while. Right? Yeah, one of our old uh, mm. our old buddies. Good for him. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, and then Zatanna and the King of Nightmares will be written by the Solska sisters. They are so talented. They I've did a great. Yeah, yeah, they did a, a a really good Black Widow run for Marvel. Uh, I want to say a couple years ago. I've never heard of them. Yeah. Huh. Um and then art by Vanessa Del Rey. Cool. And cool. okay. If you like Zatanna, look at this art. Yeah. It looks she good. looked good. Yeah. Uh Lobo Animal Man Scorched Earth is gonna be written by Heath Corson. He did uh Bizarro not that long ago. Um huh. and he uh he he's real he's real big on um comedy comics. Um, so that's, that's my impression of this book is it'll probably be a funny one. That makes sense. Yeah. The art's going to be by Scott Hepburn on that. Um, Robbins is being written by Tim Seeley, which makes a lot of sense Yep. with art by Baldemar Rivas. Um, Blue Beetle graduation day is Josh Trujillo with art by Adrian Gutierrez. Uh, Jesse that cover Quick- looks oh, super odd. Uh, yeah, I know. It looks like a manga. Yes, yeah. I was gonna call that out. It looks, it looks like, um, like my hero. Academia. I was gonna say, how much does he looks like fucking Midoriya? Yep, from my yep. hero. Yep. <laughs> yeah, super weird. How um, about it? It's cool. And then we have Jesse Quick Control, which is being written by Stephanie Phillips with art by David LaFuente. Uh, Stephanie Phillips is on the rise. She did the Harley Quinn yeah. book. Um, oh yeah good, so cool yeah. she uh she was the one that uh, i was shouting out for um from a wave blue world avery she was writing that she's also been on a heavy metal book tarna which has been rad and i just picked up butcher in paris so she's been yeah she's she's heavy putting out really good work okay yeah dude, okay it was cool. rad 
Uh, Superman and Lois Ignition is going to be written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing um, with art by Vasco Georgiev. That uh, art, very interesting. Yeah. Um, like, we've got Lois in this, like, kind of, like, almost, like, Flash Gordon-esque spacesuit and, like, Superman fighting a giant electric tentacle monster. And it's it's got that kind of, like, you know... Um, turn of the century like old school sci-fi vibe to it which that's pretty cool like that's a good look for superman and then last and maybe least is suicide squad seven fuck this uh, give me written, swamp thing <laughs> hey written i mean they got a movie coming out like this was a done deal yeah. this, it's probably gonna gonna win this uh probably gonna win this bracket as well right like hey sean who, who's got who's got two thumbs and doesn't care everyone on this podcast that's eight thumbs, but yeah, I'm with you. Damn. Hey, I, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't subscribe to that. I didn't say that. I you don't, listen. You don't I didn't. I'm me. not gonna endorse that either. Yeah. <laughs> that was you rude. want Suicide Squad seven over Swamp Thing? No, but I don't put me in your <laughs> camp without my consent. That's rude. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and then that. So that's being written by Rex Ogle with art by Diogen Diogenes Nevis. Sorry if I butchered your name. Um, but yeah, those are the creative teams. We'll continue to follow this as it progresses. Uh, what are you voting for now? What will you be voting for um, to, and, to, to go on to the next round? And why is it Jesse Quick? Uh, you guys want to place bets real quick? Uh, are we betting on something? Because if not, no. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I'll happily bet on something, I guess. I don't know. We'll we'll do it for the next round. <laughs> All right, you really want to bet with me? Remember the last time how that worked out for Marco? Oh, I'm not gonna I'm know. not gonna bet the same shit. <laughs> no, it, it, you got to make it worth my while. You okay. gotta, you know. Um, All right, you're right. So I'll think about the it. voting period for round two is April eighth through the fifteenth. Uh, so get your votes in. You got a uh, couple of more days left to do that. So uh, we're gonna move on. We've got. A couple of more trailers, a double dose of Marvel trailers. All right, so this is Black Widow. This is like the 75th trailer, I think. <laughs> oh, um, God, I, I can take a break. I'm just going to go to the bathroom for this then. I, you know, look, I'm not going to say that I'm not hyped, I guess. Okay, actually, I am going to say that I'm not hyped. You've already um, seen all this. I... I don't want more trailers. Like, it's over. How many more trailers can you release? I think it's funny that this trailer is almost entirely flashbacks to other movies because they're like, we don't have any more footage to show you. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, guys I mean, remember this character that we killed and wasn't relevant in the first place? Oh, come on. She wasn't relevant in the first place. That's silly. Yeah, I don't like that. Um huh? But she died. <laughs> she, she she died already. Like in real time, she died in three years 2019, ago. Right? Yeah. Um. So Wasn't it feels it... like a while ago. Sorry, Kill. Oh, uh, okay. I was gonna say the movie takes place in 2023. Endgame does right that part. Yeah. 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 yeah okay. Um. For us, you know, it's been a while, and right. so I, yeah. Sorry, I misunderstood. Yeah. Um. So it feels kind of weird going back to it at this point. They can't help the pandemic. That's not their fault. Um, judging the trailer by its merits, 
It looks cool enough. Um, I'm still confused on Taskmaster. My my initial um, theory was that Taskmaster was actually a clone of Black Widow. Um, I'm going to stick to that just because I think that's really cool, but I'm not convinced that that's where this is going at this point. Um, I think it's pretty interesting that we still have yet to see Taskmaster with no uh, mask on. Yeah. The character's been fully masked up and clothed in costume every single time we've seen them uh but yeah that's my that's my ongoing theory um as it pertains to what the trailer is showing us quite frankly we've seen it all we kind of we kind of get it um she's going back to her roots um this is a story that of course takes place before she died um and she's going back to her roots reintroducing herself and introducing to us her family uh red guardian yelena belova um these different characters and we're going to dive into why she is who she is and then you know cool sure why not yeah i i it's it's frustrating because i definitely am with you sean where like at this point i just i don't have any excitement left in me right like the idea of a black widow movie this late in the game after the character is already dead um, is something on its face that I wasn't super excited about. You know, like I would have been, you know, like back in phase two, I was like all about let's get a Black Widow movie. Let's get a Black Widow and Hawkeye movie, whatever. Right. Like, but now it, it kind of feels like too little too late. Um, But that isn't to say that I'm like not, like that I don't care to see it or that I'm like not at all interested. It's just, I'm not, you know, when, when I think about the MCU and the things that I'm hype about, it's what's coming, you know, or it's what we're in the middle of right now. It's, it's where the world is today, not a flashback to, you know, a very different point in the, the history of the world, right? Like the, the, the universe has gone through so much growth since this time period, um, so like having a movie that feels like it's, you know, um, almost decidedly going to have to be a step backward. I don't know. Like, I'm not, I'm not super jazzed about that, but I'm, I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, I think that, um, Sean laid out the theory like ages ago. I don't know if you still stand by it, but that it could be, um, potentially an opportunity to, to bring her back somehow. Um, and I think if I that. Th- Go ahead. My theory was that Taskmaster is a clone of hers, and the clone will will uh, her. replace her. Yeah, right. And, and I think if that's the case, I I would be more interested if this movie just exists in a vacuum. Um, it's not to say that like the only reason you watch the Marvel stuff is to see how it connects to everything else, but it is also kind of like. I know where this goes. So like, there's only so much I can get out of it. Um, so, you know, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, uh, pretty much everything Pete laid out this, I'm going to watch it. Cause we're going to do a review. Honestly, like I'm, I'm no longer interested in this movie. So first of all, I do stand by my theory and, um, it would be weird if this movie was just coming out and like it had no implications whatsoever. That would just be odd because that's atypical yeah. for a Marvel movie in general. Um, and so they have to get crafty with how they do that, given that she is no longer alive and this does take place in the past. That being said, um, if this were a comic book, no one would care. 
Like no, no one would, no one would say the things that we're saying. So it's interesting that we could readily accept the flashback story in a comic, even if it was an arc, you know, even if it was a mini, whatever it was, we would be cool with that. But as a movie, we're not as receptive. I think it's because of what the MCU is, right? Like the, like with comics, that to me anyway, right? Like my my coming into comics, I've always had this knowledge and this expectation that like time is kind of loose and things move around and that like you can have stories that take place in the past and that it's just about, you know, like Spider-Man Blue, right? Is like a, a book that came out and it took place in the past. But what it's about is, you know, giving you emotional beats contextualized in a history that you already know, right? But with this, it's kind of like the whole promise of the MCU is that it's a puzzle piece. Or I'm sorry, that it's a puzzle and that each entry is a piece of that puzzle. And that, like, you should walk into a movie, you know... um, excited knowing that you're going to get like a fun action comedy romp but also that it's going to play into some larger mythos or that you know if you're an eagle-eyed viewer there will be bread comes crumbs for you to to pull on and you know minor characters that you can see evolve in the background and all these things that it rewards you for for being a part of the whole experience and with this All it can do is, again, unless your theory is correct or or some subsection of it is, right? And there is something here that moves forward. All it can do is fill in blanks. And then I think you run into prequel territory, right? And like comics, like comic arcs that take place in the past don't really feel like prequels because like the, the canon of a character is less set in stone and it can always be changed. Whereas like this Natasha, this Black Widow, we know who she is. We know what you know. A lot of her history. We've watched her grow and change from Iron Man two to Endgame, and she's a very different character at the end of Endgame. So, like, what is this really going to give us that we don't already have, or that's going to enrich a character that we can't move forward with? The correct answer, Pete, is I don't care for Black Widow in the movies or the comics, so I'm not going to read it or watch. But if we review it, I'm there. Whatever, Marco. So like you don't see every one of these goddamn movies. You're such a you're such a fake fake fan. Like you genuinely love the MCU. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, uh, let's move on to the future of the MCU by talking about a character who's going to be moving around in time a lot. We're talking about the Loki trailer that dropped this week. Um, Loki is a show that I think a lot of people initially were down on the idea of similar to Black Widow he's kind of run his course and done his thing and that's about it Um, the closer we get to its release the more we know the more we understand that there's a lot here yeah Um, you know I think I don't even think we needed another trailer quite frankly I think they said it all in the first one um, but this trailer does add more wrinkles that uh, make this show more tantalizing. I agree. This this trailer was the first time that I got in on this show. Um, yeah. I, I definitely was one of those people, you know, like you mentioned, who just kind of... It's like, do I need more Loki? Do I need more Tom Hiddleston's Loki? And especially knowing that he's a character... Like, this version of Loki, right, is a character that is getting reset, right? All that growth, all that 
emotional beats that we went through were kind of resetting back to 2012, um, which originally was something that I really was turned off by. But seeing this and seeing the directions he's going in, the fact that Tom Hiddleston seems to really be having fun with the character still. Um, and also, I think it addresses one of the kind of complaints that we've levied at the MCU in the past, which is that um, because a lot of the villains are one-offs, like they, they don't get to have legacy. Like they don't get to to grow and change in the way that the heroes do. And like, as much as... I am kind of disappointed to see Loki snap back. You can think about the implications for like where he's going to go from here. And what's it like when Thor comes face to face with him for the first time again, or any other Avengers, whatever Um, those things all make the world feel more rich. And that, you know, that does kind of um, entice my, my interest, you know, it gets me, it gets my, uh, my appetite whetted for it. I think especially too after Falcon and Winter Soldier, um, I am pretty willing to give these series a, a second chance, or at least a, you know a a, a second look, mm. uh, a fair chance. Yeah, is is a even better uh, because you know I think going into WandaVision, everybody thought, oh yeah, that's cool, a novel idea, but then you know I think unless you were a real fan of the Falcon and the winter soldier, you probably went in thinking, Oh, this is going to be another, you know, captain America story, whatever. And it's turned out to be so far pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and WandaVision hit. Um, so I, you know, I gotta, gotta try. The, the sci-fi angle for this was probably the the piece that got me the most like time travel the just like the content of it um i think and this trailer definitely solidified as just being like okay this is going to be a fun watch and i think that that's what uh, i i want from a a weekly series yeah yeah um with heavy implications for the future of the mcu i think this this show will probably give us the best idea of where things are going of anything that we've seen so far. It's interesting because presumably this is going to, this is also going to cross over with Dr. Strange and with the, the stuff from WandaVision. So like, I wonder even how some of the other shows coming down the line are going to continue with that pattern because it looks like, that's been like it's been mostly relegated to the movies and now which call it um black widow is going to be somewhat assumingly integ- integrated into that uh, but everything's like pretty much the the linchpin there is that doctor strange movie which is cool i'm still of the mind that this show will introduce kang that's what oh, i'm hanging okay. on. i think that makes a ton of sense um, so I, uh, when this came out, I actually watched it like twice. Cause I, like Sean said, there's a lot of Easter eggs in the background and I, I took some notes on some things I wanted to call out. Um, Sean, could you actually just start it over? You got it. There's a couple things I wanted to just point to. Oh, the tiles. So <laughs> it's great tile work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the trailer, uh, obviously, right, like we know that there's the whole, they show the split timelines and everything and they're kind of engaging Loki to help. Um, but it shows him actually going through multiple timelines, um, like just in the trailer, like there's 
the big fight that's coming up in a minute here, and you can see he's in New York, probably seemingly post-Avengers, um, and New York City's destroyed. You can see Stark, you know, Avengers Tower in the background, and it's all fucked up. Um, and I think that's coming up right after this one. But uh, then there's also a shot a little bit later where it appears to show him on like what looks like Voromir. And I'm thinking it's probably a fake out with Black Widow, but it could be. Um, So yeah, I think it's probably right after this where they're explaining this. And then, yeah, they show him. Oh, yeah. Could you blade ahead a little bit? There, this right there. You can see in the back that Stark Tower. It was it? Yeah. Yeah. Right there. That's the Avengers oh. Tower. Um, so, you know, you could see this is like p- potentially post Chitari. Like, I don't know who's to say. Um, that doesn't look like what actually happened, though. No. So, like, my my question is, is that the result of them going and taking the Infinity Stones and like that fucks some stuff up? Um, you can see yeah, here there's like the purple and like the Vormir yeah call out is like right after this um but he's sitting with like a woman with red hair and it looks like it might be nat um so yeah i don't know there's there's a few little interesting kind of like nods there and then also um there's a part where they show the uh, the roxon logo as well and we haven't seen roxon in a while rocks cart is the space that they're 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 like invading or infiltrating their base yeah right 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 and i don't think we've seen them since iron man 3 i might be wrong but um not to my knowledge we haven't yeah so lots lots of little things in the background um that seem to be kind of nodding to the past you know and and i guess maybe what's to come yes um cool trailer i'm excited for the show not excited for Falcon Winter Soldier to end, but excited to see what else they have uh, coming down the pipe. Go ahead. I was going to say, it's just cool because we were so lukewarm about it. I'm glad to be excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's let's jump into Marvel's announcement that there are three new X-Men titles coming, if you can yes. believe that. Yeah, I can. Yeah, you know I can. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I can too. Uh, so we know about uh, Way of X that's dropping this month. We know about X Corp, which is dropping in May. We know about Hellfire Gala that's coming in June. <sighs> so excited! This is where things get a little crazy. In July, we have X Men number one. Written by Jerry Duggan with art by Pepe Larraz. Hmm. So what that means is X-Men is being relaunched with a new number one that will not feature head honcho, head of X, Jonathan Hickman as the writer. Yeah, that's kind of wild. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I guess it makes sense, though, because you have to imagine that this X-Men is going to be about... The team. The team. Right. Sure. Okay. So whatever. Superheroes. Yeah. Right. Right. And and that whatever, you know, however you want to classify what's been going on in X-Men right now will probably just evolve to another book or Mm. 
maybe a few books. Who's to say? That's interesting. Um, I think I think I'd like that better because I definitely want. This is the first ongoing I've ever read Hickman on, and I think I definitely want him to continue to write an ongoing that deals with the same sort of things that he has been dealing because I think he's been a super interesting writer. Um, I've not read much from him, and this this has been enough where like I'm I'm becoming a fan, and I want him to to continue the story that he's been telling, and I don't want it to be interrupted by. Uh, something that they're doing that's like a little bit larger because I think what he's doing is touching on so many aspects of the X-Men universe right now that it makes sense that we're getting all of these other split titles. Uh, super looking forward to in a way of X. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we, we talked about how it's going to be like dealing more about the life of the, the, like the citizens and de- denizens of um, Krakoa X Corp is going to be rad. And I mean, if they're splitting out the more, normal quote-unquote x-men stuff the team fighting a baddie that kind of situation i don't mind that but i definitely just want hickman to keep to be on something well yeah uh we know that leah williams and valerio shidi will be teaming up for a new number one in august but we don't know what it is it's classified uh and then of course we know that jonathan hickman will be teaming up with redacted who is the hottest artist in comics right now <laughs> for a also a new number one coming in September. So God, what if it's John Romita Jr. Oh, <laughs> no. Ooh, okay. On the Moira book. Oh, oh no. no. Okay. Hold on. So I, I do want to throw out a theory uh, based on this image. And I want, I want you guys to tell me if you think it has any, any, if it holds any water. So we have the two books that are, classified right the but the one you can see that there's a logo and it's covered with a classified stamp the other one is a circle with a question mark the only other circle is the hellfire gala logo do you think that that's just because it's a circular logo or is it maybe an event i mean the x book is circular too no yeah i guess that's true x-men yeah yeah Hmm. um okay yeah yeah Fair point. I, yeah, I don't know what this is going to be. I mean, I, I know that there was an intent to do a Moira book, but they weren't able to get the writer they wanted. So maybe Hickman is pulling a Thanos and just saying, guess I got to do everything myself. Um, or this is going to be a book that deals more with the political, you know, larger elements of the x world of what's going on with krakoa maybe what's going on with Araco. Mm. um and he's gonna leave the smaller scale biz to you know hey or duggan and and williams and and people like that it's interesting um but the reason why i really wanted to talk about this was to do a temperature check so we are just a little bit away from hellfire gala's beginning and it feels like we've been in a bit of a limbo state with the X books thus far. Yeah. There hasn't been a, a ton of forward momentum post Ten of Swords. The X Men title proper has not really dealt in a significant way with the fallout of that at all. And 
for for my money, neither have the other books. Not not materially. Yeah. So how do you guys feel about the state of X right now? Are you still really pumped for what's to come? Uh, and what do you need to see to get you back on the high that you were on if you're not there? It's definitely cooled for me. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not not interested anymore. I'm not out. But I think that um, what drew us in in the beginning, right, with House and Powers was that House and Powers was immediately fresh. It was gripping and it moved very quickly. And it didn't always like, you know, it wasn't A, B, C quickly plot. It was a lot of like, here's a thread. We're going to chew on this for a while. But like something was always happening. And something exciting and interesting was always happening. And it's felt like ever since the preamble to, to you know, Swords, we've been kind of circling the drain. And it was like all the books needed to drop what they were doing and focus in to be like Ten of Swords. We're doing Ten of Swords now. And then now it feels like we're kind of, you know, expanding back out. But... You know, whether it's because of COVID delays or, or what have you, right? Like, it's not quick. And the pace when we got to the monthly, like, there's multiple titles, it it immediately slowed. And I can stomach that a bit to be like, okay, it's monthly. We are going to be moving at a slower pace now that there's more of a status quo. Fine. But stuff's got to happen every issue. Like, I, you, you got to give me more carrot. And less stick right now because I feel like I'm investing a lot of time and thought because I'm interested, but I don't, you know, I feel like it's the last three, four months we've been like, oh, maybe this will be the issue where it gets back on track. And like, I think X-Men has the last two issues were really interesting and good. Um, But even that, right, that's pulling on an old ass thread rather than dealing materially with what's just happened. Hmm. Like, we've still not addressed this major shift in the culture of Krakoa, or what should be a major shift, right? But it isn't. And that feels frustrating, because I read Ten of Swords what feels like a year ago, even though it was only a couple months in the grand scheme of things. The uh, the only X-Books that I've been following have been X-Men and Wolverine, and I think Wolverine has had its own you know story. He's kind of doing his own thing, so I haven't minded that. Or at least I haven't felt it in the same way. Um, sure. Marauders, whenever we do the reviews, I feel like they're, I feel like since issue one, they've been in Madripoor. So that for me has felt like no traction at all. Um, and X-Men, I like what Hickman has been doing. Um, agreed with Pete. The last two issues have been really cool. Um, and I don't mind that, that he's coming back to a different thread because I think the concern that we have is being addressed in this very like image. And because of that, I don't mind because I know that there's something coming down the pipe. Whereas if this stuff doesn't address those concerns or the way that we think they might, I mean, we've gotten the previews and we've gotten details. So assuredly they are, Um, but if they don't do it in the same sort of way, I think from there that becomes a conversation on like execution. Um, But as of right now, I'm, I'm still excited. I still think that there, it hasn't addressed everything right after X of Swords, but I didn't have any issue with that. How about you, Kale? 
Yeah, I feel I feel very similarly, and and I don't feel like I need to repeat any of it necessarily. I am I'm more excited about the things that are coming, you know, because I think stuff like Way of X is gonna, you know, try and tackle things that, uh, you know, like uh, Nightcrawler's religion. Oh, you know, that's that's uh, an aspect of Krakoa that I'm really excited about, um, as well as you know the Hellfire Gala. Uh, but yeah, like you say, everything's been floundering, it feels like. And, um, you know, uh, I, I, I love the setting. I love the, the place that the X-Men have, have made and have been, uh, refreshed in, in Marvel at the moment, but post 10 of swords that has ground to a halt. And it, it needs something to, to kind of bring it back and make it still feel fresh. Yeah. It, it just, it feels like it needs a shot in the arm. You Cause know? it's still, it's still new. Yeah. Like it, sh- it shouldn't feel this way. And I think that's the thing is it doesn't feel stale. Like it's, it's like you said, it's not the setting. It's not where the X-Men are at. That's the problem. It's that like, they're not doing anything with the momentum that they built. Yeah. So I'm at a place that I think every comic book fan who reads the big two will inevitably get to. It's the comics fans crossroads. And what I mean by that is I simultaneously desperately want them to get to the point, but I don't want the status quo to change. So getting to the point would mean introducing Moira, reintroducing her. And in my mind, once that happens, we're in the end game, right? Like that's kind of where, all right, where, where are we, how are we dealing with this? Because that secret gets out and that's, that's it. You know, that's the whole house of cards. And I want to see that take place, but I also don't want Hickman's vision for, the X-Men to stop. I don't want them to go back to living in the mansion in, you know, Westchester or whatever. I don't want them to, I don't want them to do any of that, you know? Um, So I'm, I'm stuck and I don't know how to feel. And I know that at some point this will end. It's the nature of comics, but I don't want that to happen. And I just wish they had meteor things to serve up on a more regular basis that doesn't mean the end. It feels like all of the work that Hickman did, which was you know incredible stuff during the House of Powers era to build this up, this sandbox, was just to say, okay, here's your sandbox. And yeah. he, now let's live in it for two years and not really like do anything with it. Yeah. And that's my problem. And it's it's frustrating because like I I definitely see what you're saying in terms of like um we don't want to accelerate to the end game too soon because what's here is interesting and fresh but like it's also like you know like okay like like the vote for the X Men right fresh interesting idea that like we that happened like f- what like last summer or whatever now I don't probably not even but it feels like it was fucking forever ago that they were like we need to reform the X Men and I remember being like. Oh shit! The vote. Oh, the vote was like that was only a couple months ago. Whatever. Yeah, it was I, this year. Yeah. 
it <laughs> it speaks to the fact that I'm getting fatigued. Um, because it's like that's interesting. Let's do it. Don't tell me about it and then make me wait four months and then like it maybe a thing happens and then it's over, right? Like, I, and I feel like that's what we're doing a lot of. Like the the elevator pitches of the stories that we were that the ongoings that we currently have were way more interesting than the stories themselves, hmm. and that's frustrating. It's also weird that the thing that I'm supposed to be excited about, the thing that the books are, you know, working towards, is a is a a gala, like it's a it's a dinner, it's a it's a get together. You know, we just had that in Ten of Swords, albeit. You know, it was a different premise, but like, did they not sit around and eat and fraternize and get dressed up and whatever else? Like, we just did that. So it's like, I'm excited for Hellfire Gala. Don't get me wrong. It just, again, it feels very much like playing the hits. Yeah. In an era that's supposed to be about doing things fresh. Especially when there's so many things you haven't touched on, really. Like, yeah, like, like, why haven't the X-Men like materially come into conflict with the broader superhero community? Like, why is why are we not like privy to what like, you know, like, what does S.H.I.E.L.D. think about this? You know, like, like, like all of those kinds of things where you're like, yeah, like this is the Marvel Universe. You have these pieces. Why aren't you leveraging like any of them? You know, I don't want all of that. I don't want fucking X-Men versus Avengers again. But like I do in but like in the way that like they brushed up against the Fantastic Four and you're like, oh, conflict like there should be more of that. And it's weird that there isn't. It's Um, sorry. I I mean, I I don't know. I, I, I don't. And maybe this is just because like I, I don't read big two and in in this way i've not read um a run like this it's always been after the fact once things have unfurled so i'm i'm loving the fact that we're just living in it i don't i don't care to see the end yet because i'm having fun with where where we're at even like two years in i don't need to know the end i don't i don't need to necessarily know when more is going to come into play just because there's a there's a lot still left to do and i don't mind that they're taking their time i just wish it felt meatier like i don't mind if something's slow it's when it's slow for like seemingly no reason that i get frustrated because like i don't mind an issue where characters are like sitting talking the whole time if at the end i walk away being like i understand you better right or i i got something out of this like the last two issues there's a lot of exposition but it's good exposition and like it's good storytelling. It's good character development. And a lot of it has not been that. I'm, I'm actually really happy to hear that Marco, that you, that you're at that place with this because that's pretty cool. You know, this is your first foray into the monthly comic thing as a, you know, in terms of being in the sandbox versus something that's like a mini like Rorschach or even strange adventures. Um, I'm glad to hear that. That being said, I do wish I could feel that level of patience. For me, um, you know, I'm picking up a lot of these books, and slowly they're I'm, I'm I'm they're losing me because each one of them seems to be in a similar holding pattern, in which a little bit of something is going on, but it's mostly not anything. You know, like what is the overarching storyline of X Men? 
right, of that title itself? What is the overarching storyline of Marauders? You know, like the overarching storyline of Marauders is the same storyline, essentially, that it has been the whole time. And nothing really has happened in that book. And what bothers me is like, it's again, if it was like nothing, like if you couldn't boil it down to like interesting bullet points, but there was like good character beats and good action throughout, it'd be like, all right, well, this is like a fun comic, but it's not even really giving me that. Like you can think of all of like the, you know, like there's been moments, right? Like, oh, like they go and get tattoos and like, that was a moment. Right. And like, you know, uh, this stuff that happens with Shaw, like that's a moment, but like there's a bunch of issues in the middle where it's like, aren't they supposed to be like out saving mutants? And like, they kind of did like once or twice, but like it doesn't really, that's not really what the book was about. And that was what it was supposed to be about. And it's, it's not. And like, I love Kitty. I love Iceman. I love Storm. Like these are some of my favorite X-Men. If it was just them out doing that and saving people and, you know, maybe they meet a new mutant or they find this underground slave market where they're selling mutants. I don't know. Like, I'm not the writer. I shouldn't have to tell you. But, like, come up with a thing for interesting characters to go do and bounce off of each other. Like, there's a fun comic in there. But it feels like we just go to the big moments and then we go back to the holding pattern until it's time for them to do something again. Uh, the last the last point um for me on this on this subject is you know i i really love what hickman has has set up i'm excited for it i'm into it and there's a lot of awesome stuff here at the table um maybe i'm too anxious for it and i could totally i could get with that um i i really really wish there were less titles and more focus and that's i think where i come at it from uh like you know no disrespect to the creators themselves but do we really need the children of the atom book you know is that something that has to exist um yeah it feels like excess and there's a lot of this that feels for me like excess and every single book has done something that I'm like, man, if that was the focus right now, this would be crazy. Um, but they don't, they don't focus. And so that's just kind of where I'm coming from. But ultimately, you know, if we're doing a temperature check, my answer is I'm still all in. I will never not be all in because of the nature of what this is and who I am. But I do have some concerns and some level of trepidation. I'm hopeful that Hellfire Gala is going to be that thing that takes us to the next stage of this story. Uh, but if you are enjoying the X stuff or you're off the, you're off the boat, uh, you're off the reservation, as it were, let us know. Uh, we generally have seen in our Discord server mixed feelings. Um, I know some people who are really into it still and some who are kind of falling off. So uh, where do you lie on that? Um, you know, are you excited for the Hellfire Gala? Write in. Let us know your thoughts. Hit us at the comicspals at gmail.com. 
while you're thinking about us still, uh, go ahead and follow us on your podcast hosting platform of choice. Make sure that you're leaving us a rating and a review, whether it's on that platform or it's on YouTube. Wherever you get us, there's a way to show your support for this podcast and we are so appreciative once again thank you for writing in with your questions for ron we always appreciate the interaction whether it's on the podcast or discord wherever it is we see you guys the youtube comments on the geiger uh review that we put out the support there has been awesome the support on we watch has been great we are really really thankful so um keep it up uh we've got book clubs on deck for you guys the invincible one is out now we've done a ton 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 of different ones uh so check that out next week we're going to tell you guys on this podcast what our next book club will be we think you'll be excited so at the start of the episode uh when i let you guys know about everything else we'll talk about that um and yeah there's lots going on in the in the pals network as it were so um thank you for 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 being a part of the ride we really appreciate it uh, Pete, let's get into the plugs. Thank you guys for joining us here in another episode of the Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me on social media, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, come chat with me about uh, whatever you're you're checking out these days. What are you reading? What are you watching? What are you playing? Uh, let me know. I'm kind of drowning in media right now, so I don't I don't necessarily need a ton of recommendations. So if you do hit me with one, make sure it's the S tier stuff. All right. Um, if you want to get some more content from me, you can check out the Potscast. Uh, it's the weekly Nintendo podcast I host over on LootPots.com. Uh, streaming over there on Thursday nights, uh, twitch.tv slash LootPots. And then, of course, you can check out my band, Long Friend, Time Friends, debut album, If Me Dies, Me Dies, wherever you get your music. Uh, I'd love to hear what you think about it. Awesome. Kill. You can find me at Toto Into. That's T O T O I N T O W. You can find my work at killward.com. That's C A L E W A R D.com. Uh, you can find Phil at Cyborg Bebop. That's C-Y-B-O-R-G-B-E-B-O-P. Nice. Damn. <laughs> so Marco. You can find me at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. You will see me and loving everything Swamp Thing, uh, as you will be familiar with this interview. And um, come talk to me about... Yo, the way of the house husband, that shit looks mad funny. So I'm super it's excited. Good. Is it? It's very good. Okay. Yeah. I like I'm super it a lot. excited to start. Um, that shit looks hilarious. And I'm definitely ready for just like something goofy, lighthearted anime stuff. I've been watching um, Demon Slayer and that's a little heavier. Fun, but um, yeah, man. Come talk to me about that. And then, as always, on the Weeb channel, uh, if you haven't finished Attack on Titan season four, well, a few people have finished the, the the manga for it, so they're having a whole conversation about it. And I might be in, taking the plunge. It's all in black bars too, so yeah, that's ain't, no, ain't nobody <laughs> reading nothing in TV Party or Weeb Central. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then as always, we're also doing an Akira read along. We are on volume four this week. We took a slight break just because we had a bunch of reading. Um, so this week on the release date, Monday for Sunday, we'll be reading volume four there you go awesome uh as for me you can find me on twitter and instagram only on sean at sean soapbox uh the only thing i want to plug is this podcast i'm really happy to be a part of it um you know we've done a ton of interviews like the one we did with rom uh go check out his work 
uh, the right. I think he said the right Ram. Yeah, the right, yeah. The right Ram on, yep. uh, on, on um, uh, Twitter. On Twitter, go check his work out. And just thank you for the support. With that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week.